Welcome to Love with Integrity. My name is Sylvie Kukasian, and this podcast is all about relationships, how to hold healthy, loving boundaries, but also how to express yourself in a way that doesn't push your partner away. So join me for a wonderful conversation about mental health, relationships, and self-discovery. I am so excited to introduce my guest to you today. Cheryl Paul is somebody that I first connected on Instagram and I just fell in love with her work and her style and the way that she teaches and guides people in understanding how anxiety works, but also how to work with it in a way that's really honoring and um, deeply connected and a really embodied experience. She is the author of the book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, How Worry and Intrusive Thoughts Are Gifts to Help You Heal. She has appeared several times on the Oprah Winfrey Show, as well as on the Good Good Morning America and other top media shows and publications around the globe. And she has a private practice and tons of e-courses, which I will dive into with her on the podcast. So for any of you that struggle with anxiety or know somebody that struggles with anxiety, we're going to be diving into relationship anxiety, how those doubts and confusions um, can really, really torment us when we're in a relationship and what to do, how to work with them, just to better understand what's actually going on for us. So, so excited and looking forward to sharing the beautiful Cheryl Paul with you all. Cheryl Paul, thank you so, so much for being here. I cannot even tell you how excited I am to show you off to all my listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sylvie. Very happy to be here connecting with you. Your book, I've been reading um, The Wisdom of of Anxiety for the last uh, couple of weeks, and I've just been having so many aha moments personally Mm. just with my clients and just hearing so much of your journey and how much it resonates with mine. And um, I would love for you to introduce yourself and just the work that you're called to do. And we're going to be diving into anxiety and relationship anxiety today. Um, I just can only imagine how many people are going to benefit from your, from your words today. Mm, thank you so much, Silver. I'm so glad the book is resonating with you. And I'm not surprised as um, I found you to be incredibly like-minded and open-hearted through our interactions. Um, so I am Cheryl Paul. I live in Boulder, Colorado, originally from Los Angeles. Um, I am married to my amazing husband and we have Um, two highly sensitive boys. We are a family of highly sensitives, and that will make more sense as we um, talk through the book and anxiety and sensitivity and the connection between those two. Um, My boys are almost 11 and 15, and I've been working in this world of psyche for a very long time. Um, Since uh, I started graduate school when I was 23, and that was uh, 25 years ago, um, at Pacifica Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara, which focuses on Jungian depth Mm. psychology, um, which for those of you who are not familiar with that tradition, it it really focuses on... um, the unconscious and the language of the unconscious, which speaks to us through dreams, through metaphors, and through symptoms. 
So depth psychology understands that all of our symptoms, including anxiety, are messengers from the unconscious. They are very wise messengers from our infinitely wise unconscious that are letting us know that something is awry, something needs attention. They are pointing us in the direction of health and healing. So this is in diametric opposition to the mainstream mindset around anxiety, which very much views it as a disorder, as evidence of disorder. And so people feel that when they have anxiety, that it means that there's something broken or wrong or disordered about them. Um, and that's really the, not the mindset that I come from. So all of my work is really informed by what I see as a very compassionate approach and a very um, hopeful approach mm -hmm. to working with um, the challenges of being human. Mm. So beautifully said. One of, the, one of the things that I'm so drawn to about your work and um, for any of you that are on Instagram, uh, Cheryl has a beautiful page called Wisdom of Anxiety where she talks a lot about what she just shared and this ability that you have to really go below the surface mm. and to not tackle um, the issue directly and to be really able to put it in its proper context to understand it on in such a more beneficial way you, you just don't you don't look at the symptom for what it is but you really understand it in the way that it, like you said it's a messenger and what it's actually trying to show you and teach you yes so it's it's a whole way of looking at ourselves which can be challenging um, for some people to step into it first because it doesn't take anything at face value. So we have a thought like, what if I don't love my partner? And we immediately latch onto that thought as being true and being literal. And when we do that, we quickly tumble down that rabbit hole, that vortex of anxiety and despair. Um, whereas in the depth psychological tradition, we would hear a thought like that and we would say, hmm, what is that pointing to? What could it be a metaphor for? Might it be a projection? So I don't love my partner could be a, um, a reflection, a projection of my own lack of self-worth. It could be oftentimes thoughts show up in the reverse. So I don't love my partner could be I don't love myself or... Um, I don't feel worthy of love, which so much of relationship anxiety is often a protection against those core places of lack of worthiness and deserving. Mm. So yes, it goes really deep and it's the place that, um, that just juices me up is going deep, is going beyond the surface of things. And when I, when I work with somebody or when somebody comes across my work, and they realize that not everything they're thinking, not all of their thoughts are true, and not all of their feelings are necessarily feelings that they need to act on. Worlds and worlds open up inside. I needed you so much about eight years ago, Sharon. Yeah. This message would have been so handy. I would have been like, oh, I don't need to leave that relationship. Okay, got it. Well, you went right into the, you know, the heart of the of relationship anxiety, and I know that's something that you specialize mm -hmm. um, in. It's something that um, I've personally struggled with. I've, you know, I've had clients that have really struggled with this. Um, how would you, would it be better to define anxiety in general and then relationship anxiety, or would, should we just dive into relationship anxiety? 
I say let's dive into relationship anxiety. Okay. Um, yeah. So I define relationship anxiety as um, perseverative or obsessive um, worry or doubt about a very loving, healthy, well-matched partnership. Um, so now even in that definition, if someone's coming from a fear-based anxious place, they will parse apart every single one of those words, especially the well-matched part. Um, and this is how the anxious mind works. The anxious mind is brilliant. It is convincing and it will undo, um, almost any evidence that points to its own responsibility. So anxiety and relationship anxiety is in some ways an attempt to avoid our own inner work by focusing on that the problem is out there. Mm. Um, so if I'm with the wrong person, and if I believe that thought that I'm with the wrong person, even though there's plenty of evidence to show otherwise, then I don't have to take the risk of loving. I don't have to look at my own fears, my mm. own wounds. We all have been hurt mm. by love. We mm. all have been hurt in relationships, whether it's early bullying with the hands of peers, sibling relationships, um, parents, religion, first love, first heartbreak. There is a storehouse of pain. Mm. Um, it, it, per, perhaps even early losses, um, transitions that were never fully processed. And for the highly sensitive person, a transition is a death experience. Mm. And so when, we're, when children are not guided through those early transitions, whether it's a move or a divorce or a loss, and it's not the event itself. It's the lack of guidance and processing. We know this now, right? Through all of the trauma work that's exploding into consciousness. Yes. Um, we, we are resilient when we are held and guided and given the tools and the support to process through. And so we end up becoming adults with a lot of unprocessed pain and fears and then a lot of equations about love love equals danger love mm -hmm. e equals abandonment love equals enmeshment i will be steamrolled but we don't consciously we're not consciously aware of all of those equations and so relationship anxiety it comes out in the reverse i'm not attracted enough i'm not in love enough my partner isn't tall enough or intellectual enough or social enough or funny enough whatever the hook is um we attach and we hook in we hang our hat on that particular hook for this particular person again as a defense mm -hmm. so to see it as a defense and a projection immediately puts us in the realm of personal responsibility. If we take it at face value and believe those thoughts are true, and of course, relationship anxiety is interesting because you will get support from the mainstream if you to leave a relationship that you are doubting because there is the message that says doubt means don't you have to be instantly attracted you have to know that they're the one you have to always be excited to see them it should be effortless sex should be effortless um, the connection should be effortless so we have this massive download from Hollywood, from Disney, from mainstream media, magazines, billboards, that then perfectly links up with everything the fear-based mind and heart are saying to try to protect you from taking the risk of loving and being loved. 
it almost feels like we have so much set up against us, right? When we're trying to challenge that anxiety, like it takes, it sounds like it takes so much courage to be able to not buy the anxious or intrusive thought head on. And yes. like you said, because our messaging and our, the movies and, you know, Hollywood and everything matches up so much with that same mentality, it's, it feels like you're going in such a counterintuitive and such an unknown direction to be able to actually say, wait a minute, what's actually going on for me in this experience? What's happening? Am I, you know, is there something I'm not looking at? I love that you, you just so beautifully helped to reorient that compass back to yourself. Yeah. You, you shared um, something in the book, um, you know, just about how our culture doesn't really do well with that doubt, with that transition there's so many parts of your book that I want to like rip out and just you know share <laughs> right now but that transition piece right when somebody is in a new relationship maybe when they are just trying to figure out whether or not this is the right fit or um, if they're going through a specific um, transition even in the relationship whether it's a wedding or it's an anniversary mm-hmm. these are all transitions that mm-hmm. we don't culturally spend a lot of time like we might buy gifts for each other yes. we don't do the reflection work to really honor that space can you speak that's to ex- that a little Sharon? yes that's exactly right and so we drop our members culturally across these massive times of abyss and groundlessness and unknown Mm -hmm. transitions are by definition a death and rebirth experience so we are dying to an old identity when we get married we are no longer a single person when we become a parent we are no longer a non-mother or a non-father so there is a death of identity that has to happen and ideally needs to be ritualized in some way so that we can cross over that threshold and fully embrace the joy and the rebirth that is awaiting for us on the other side. We are so death averse. Even just Mm -hmm. saying the word death makes people get very anxious and nervous. we, we don't have a cultural comfort with the fact that there are deaths in everyday life, not literal deaths, psychological deaths, deaths of identity, deaths of um, shifts and of allegiance and relationships that happens around these transitions. So yes, doubt, contrary to the cultural belief system around it, doubt is evidence of somebody who is awake, mm-hmm. who is aware of the magnitude of the commitment of love or whatever you are committing to. If it's buying a house, you're going to have doubt if you are awake, if you are meeting the reality of what's actually happening and the magnitude of it, Mm -hmm. right? Doubt says, let me pause and let me recognize how scary it is to leap into the unknown. Mm -hmm. You know, when when I'm working with clients in the wedding transition, I say to them, but of course you're terrified. Getting married is a leap of faith. It's like jumping out of an airplane and you don't know if the parachute's going to open. Like there's no guarantees that when you marry somebody, it's going to work. And so instead of meeting that fear head on, the very natural core fear of the unknown, of the risk, it mutates and morphs into, am I with the right person? And then raking that person over the coals and putting them under the microscope. And to a certain degree, that's healthy. You want to make sure that you are indeed aligned in the ways that matter. Um, 
but past a certain point when, when, when it becomes obsessive, yes. when it's waking you up in the middle of the night, when you can't eat, when you can't sleep, when you are seriously contemplating walking away from somebody who is good and honest, of, of solid character, who is loving and giving, and, and all of the main qualities that actually matter. Um, in terms of the longevity of a healthy marriage, somebody who is willing to do the work with you, somebody who is willing to learn and grow with you, right? This is what matters. And I think one of the most common questions that perhaps both of us often receive is that, how do we know it's the right, you know, like, like, what if, you know, how do we know that this is that good enough partner? How do we know that it's not the right partner, which is like, why does it only have to be one human on the planet that has That's to be right. the right partner? I mean, I understand the mentality that we have of, of a soulmate and I, I, I respect people's views on that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that can create a tremendous amount of pressure. Oh, like tremendous. seriously, like <laughs> there's only one person and I better go find them and I better make sure to dissect every piece. And how do you ever know? It's, it's impossible. That's right. You don't ever know. There's not a blood test you can take. There's not a ding, ding, ding game show bell that goes off when you meet the right person. <laughs> you know, what we're looking for is certainty. And that's a common thread um, that goes through many aspects of anxiety, whether we're talking about health anxiety, relationship anxiety, mm-hmm. um, money anxiety. It's the need for certainty and how difficult it is, especially for the highly sensitive person, mm-hmm. to. Um, become more comfortable with uncertainty and to be willing to take the risk because when you are highly sensitive, we were at one point in history, we were the scouts of the tribe. We were the ones that were scanning the horizon, looking for danger. Mm-hmm. We were hyper vigilant. We were, um, we had a very special, important role to literally keep everybody alive. Because we were attuned to the subtle nuance of a wisp of smoke on the horizon that may have indicated an enemy that was close by. Or the slight shift in the grass that may have indicated that there's a tiger around the corner. Wow. So it, it's, it's, um, it's a evolutionary opportunity for us to take that same high sensitivity and learn how to channel it into healthy ways. Otherwise, we are constantly scanning either our own bodies for a health problem or scanning the relationship for some kind of problem that if I had only looked hard enough, I could have prevented something painful from happening down the road. And so embedded in that question, how do I know it's I'm with the right one is, am I making a mistake? And if mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, and a mistake would mean pain down the road that mm-hmm. maybe I could avoid, right? Wow. What if, what if I'm really am with the wrong person and then we get divorced and it's, you know what? You can only make the best decision you can make given the information you have at the time. You know, does that mean we just rush into marriage without thoroughly knowing somebody? No, but that's, that's not the population that finds me. These are highly conscientious, highly reflective people in truly wonderful, healthy relationships, not without problems. There's going to be problems in every relationship, right? Not where you're perfectly synced up and you have all the same interests and all the same, you'd like to do the same things. No, that's not a requirement for having a healthy long-term relationship. Mm. But it's 
And the, the phrase you used was, how do I know it's good enough? Well, that's exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for good enough, right? We're not looking for perfection because that doesn't exist. And so it's often a train of thought for, for someone uh, struggling with relationship anxiety is, well, my partner doesn't talk a lot and sometimes we struggle in conversation maybe there'd be somebody else out there where the conversation would just flow so yeah. easily and and i say of course there is that person out there and they wouldn't have the five other qualities mm -hmm. that you have with your current partner or it's like i like to say they're, they're going to come with other challenges it's exactly just, just trading off one thing for something else that's right that's right. And so it's this expectation of perfection that I also think comes from the messaging in the culture that you can have it all, you can meet the one and you'll just know and there'll be everything. And that's just not true, right? Those of us in real relationships know that is not true. And at the end of the day, we're not even drawn to people that appear perfect. We're drawn to the, the, the grit and the vulnerability and the, the things that make our, our partner and our close friends, who they actually are. And yet those are going to, of course, be the very things that we're going to come up against and mirror yes. our fears. And so it's like, it's just, it's just, it's just so fast. It's so fascinating how our brains work. And you said yes. something, you know, so important about a lot of it is this profound fear. You talk about a lot of this in your book of, you know, feeling our feelings, feeling our Gr enormous grief that again our culture doesn't have rituals mm. to help us be with yes. you know, every every night when I go to sleep with my partner I've done this from the beginning mm. I feel sad at the right as of the day ends mm -hmm. I look at him like oh no it's over he's like no it's not over I'm right here I'm like, mm -hmm. no but you don't understand it's over mm. and it's this thing that I've been really present to I'm, I, I definitely resonate with being a highly sensitive person mm. and I feel those subtleties throughout the day and I've I've come to a point where I embrace that about myself and yes. I let myself just be sad and I feel it and then it's gone but when we're shamed to honor those, or like you've mentioned in the book, like a, a sunset coming down, or yes. um, there's just so many little moments of transitions yes. that we, we neglect to allow ourselves to feel. And then, of course, it, we go up into our brains and start analyzing and have these thoughts. It's like because we're feeling so disconnected from our feeling experience. What would you, uh, I would love for you to speak on, on just this disconnection from feelings and how that can translate to those intrusive thoughts. If you can. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Sylvie. I mean, this is really the heart of what I love talking about mm. the most. And it, um, it cuts across all the ways that anxiety manifests because one of anxiety's messages is our disconnect from our, our emotional lives. Mm. Um, through no fault of anyone's own. It's what's been handed down for generations. We don't live in a culture that values the emotional life. I think that's starting to shift, which is so beautiful to see. But um, when that core grief, those moments, those micro moments of sadness, the day ending, sunset, um, we feel them at all transitions, all of those vulnerable times, the day starting, the day ending, even afternoon, Sunday evening is a big one for people. Um, the, trend, the, the seasonal transitions of which we're sort of in, starting to move into one right now as winter ends and spring begins, but it's a liminal time. We're not quite in spring. Winter isn't quite over. And so it's this time of in between. 
mm. where we are a much more in touch with um, with the, with the grief. And to me, it's a beautiful grief. So we think of grief and sadness as, as I'm still amazed always when I'm working with a client and they start to cry. And the first thing they say is, I'm sorry. Mm. And I always say, please don't apologize for your tears. Your yeah. tears are medicine and your tears are beautiful. And I understand where that comes from because sure. A lot of people are very afraid of other people's tears, and a lot of people were raised in an environment where tears were not welcome. They were shamed. They were judged. And the message that they received was, get over it, buck up, toughen up, you're so weak, you're too sensitive. All of that then contributes to the early shutdown of our um, very beautiful, essential, emotional lives and it's not just sadness it's frustration it's disappointment it's jealousy it's mm -hmm. anger it's loneliness it's also joy I'm and just thinking about that yeah. the, the other side that we associate like tears always have to mean the more difficult feelings where it can be something like you said it can be actually joyful or touch or gratitude but are, you've, you've spoken about how the english language can be quite limiting with yes. the depth of uh, these kind of various nuances. Yes. And so what happens is when that gets shut down early in life, we lose access temporarily. We can always open back up those frozen or um, more rigid emotional path passageways, which is, again, often the message in anxiety and intrusive thoughts. But we go up into our heads as the safe chamber, as the way to try to make sense and gain some um, some piece of control, some anchor. It's a misguided attempt, but it's also a brilliant one for young people and even adults to go into that headspace um, to try to answer a fundamentally unanswerable question, which is what intrusive thoughts are. Mm. And it keeps you spinning. You're on spin cycle then in your head, spinning, spinning as a way to avoid the vulnerability of the heart. And so when I'm working with somebody and I see that they're stuck in that headspace and in that story, I will pause and say, let's, let's take a pause and let's come into your heart. And quite often the tears are right there. Mm -hmm. They come into the present moment. All of the story falls away about my partner or my health or whatever the focus is. My kids are so many or the world eco anxiety. Like we're living in this massive time where the world is powered on a 24-7 fear cycle. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to, you turn on the news and it's, it's nervous system activation, it's fight or flight. Um, and so it's really easy to get stuck in that place instead of dropping down into the heart and simply noticing what is happening in my body right now. Mm -hmm. So beautiful, Cheryl. I mean, I, I can vouch from personal experience that when my own therapist you know, brings it back to me in my body and I can just feel it, it yes. dissolves my experience of what I'm projecting yes. on my partner. It, it just, it loses the power. It loses. Yes. And I feel so, can, I feel so freeing, just like, oh, thank goodness. You know, it's not about, it's, it's really, it's like, I feel so much more integrated and just yeah. whole in myself, you know, and I think this is, this, this is something that can be very confusing, you know, for people listening. I would love for you to share a little bit more about what these projections are, because I know relationship anxiety, this is like 
I would say this is like its first cousin, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. We start like hyper focusing on a, a something that we make into a flaw or we start yes. dissecting maybe something about their personality or, um, and how to really work with that and how to just notice it. Like you've mentioned naming it and um, yes. just for people to be able to, of course, and for any of you guys listening, if any of this is, this is uh, something of course, working with a professional, if the anxiety is severe, yes. but if it's something that you feel like you want to practice, I say, go for it and just, you know, try it and see how you feel and if, whether or not you need to do this with a professional. Yes. Thank you. Um, So projection, I think, is possibly the most important concept to understand when you are in relationship with anybody, whether it's an intimate partner, a friend, a colleague, a boss. Um, We project all the time. And what a projection is, it's it's our own inner psychological content projected onto the screen of somebody else's face or personality or mannerism. Um as a way for us to see it. We don't have direct Mm. access to the unconscious. That's why it's called the unconscious. That's profound, Cheryl, what you just said. Wow. Yes. Yes. It's so important for us to understand that project. It's not, it's not here to torture us. It's actually this extraordinary opportunity to see ourselves Mm. projected. And so when you are over-focused on your partner, so let's take the example of attraction. It comes up all the time in my work. Yeah. Um, I'm not attracted enough or hyper-focusing on a specific feature, whatever it is. And we start to unpack that. What are all the different layers to this attraction spike and projection? And I will always ask, first and foremost, what is your relationship like to your own physical being how do you how do you feel about your own attraction in the world and as a person and there's almost always pain i would say always um um, often related again to early bullying um perhaps somebody was um overweight or considered overweight in the early years and they were made fun of for that and then they grow up and they're hyper focused on their partner's body Mm. um and they don't see it as a reflection of their own unhealed pain. And so when we can name it as projection, it's immediately an opportunity to see ourselves and to take that responsibility. That's the one layer of projection. The other layer is that it is a protection so that when we are hyper-focused and committed to staying hyper-focused, we are making the choice on some level to stay in that headspace as a way to avoid the responsibility. So it's protecting us from our own wells and pools and layers, storehouses of our own pain or our own faulty beliefs, whatever is needing attention inside. And so what I say to people with relationship anxiety is the most difficult part of the work is unhooking from the projection. Once you've done that, relationship anxiety is 80% done. Mm. Because it's, once- it's so hard to believe it. 
right? Like, <sighs> no, it's my, I'm looking at it. My partner is doing this thing. Yes. I feel this visceral response. Yes. It's them. Why would yes. this have anything to do with me? It makes no, it doesn't make, like, it's not something to really even be able to understand with your logical brain. That's right. It doesn't make logical sense. It only makes sense when you understand how the unconscious works. Yeah. Right. That's the only way it makes sense. And people will say to me all the time, well, why can't my, why can't my brain just tell me I'm scared? Why does it have to come out in this convoluted way? Totally. Right. Totally. Why like, does it well, make it so complicated? Yeah. Why is it so complicated? Why do I have to focus on my partner? It's so painful. I say, well, you know what? It's one of the most um, challenging requests and invitation that we make of ourselves or that we are being asked is to take that responsibility. So it is a lot easier to blame and to project mm -hmm. in some way. We are, I think, in some ways wired to do that, to externalize and push away that pain. And we are culturally conditioned to do that. And for most of us, it wasn't modeled. We didn't grow up seeing people take true responsibility for their emotional lives. That's so true. Even when you watch, I was watching a reality show recently with my partner called Love is Blind. Mm. And you see the couple just, you know, projecting and blaming, which me and my partner do as well, of course. It's yes. not isolated to the people on reality shows. No. And we're like, okay, we're going to record this and we're going to dub over this and we're going to show the response, like the, the, we're taking the responsibility <laughs> version of this. Yes. Because that's what we all want to do. We all want to be able to take responsibility yes. at our core. But if we don't have, if we've never seen it modeled, and it's yes. definitely not modeled in most TV shows. And I mean, I rarely ever see that kind of communication between couples. So very rare. That is a brilliant idea. Right? I know, right? <laughs> yes. We're going to just start dubbing all the conversations. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because all we see modeled is blame, blame, blame. We see it everywhere. We see it in relationships. We see it in the culture at large. It's a culture of blame. I don't know if it's different in other cultures, but Western culture is a culture of blame. Um, we don't see people truly owning that very raw space. And again, it's, yes, we all want to, but it's also very scary yeah. to make ourselves that vulnerable. It's why Brené Brown's work has exploded and, mm -hmm. and hit such a nerve because she's talking about the vulnerability of saying, this is the story I'm telling myself. This is what's happening in my body right now. I am so scared and I'm feeling so insecure right now. Mm. Or even just how you were saying about the physical and being able to own the, wow, I feel really insecure about my body. Like yes. to be able to own that and say that and to not feel like you want to just shrivel up in a ball and disappear it takes so much courage and the right partner to be able to, yes. you know, hold that and to be able to um, not judge us for that. And so it's such a dance. That's where it's like, we get to then see that's the risk part, right? That you talk about it's the oh. risk of that, that love, the risk in love and that unknown that we don't, we don't know what's going to happen when we're truly responsible and vulnerable for our experience. No, we don't. And when that had, has happened in earlier years, it's likely that you were bullied or shut down or made fun of for being vulnerable. So it is a immense risk and a complete rewiring mm. to say, I'm feeling really insecure right now. 
or I'm scared that when you said that, it means that you don't really like me or love me or right. That this, it's, it's such a risk. And when you don't see it modeled, it's really hard to know how to do that. It's, it's such a, and it's such a powerful thing to then be able to see the response. I remember of a huge fight I had with my partner where I was just going at it. I mean, I was projecting <laughs> left and right. And poor, my, my poor partner is one of the most, I mean, not poor, like he's amazing. It's, he's so patient with me mm. in these moments. He's, and I was just like going left and right and he's ducking, you know, he's just like, yeah, you know, so not metaphorically ducking. Yes, I wasn't yeah, trying yeah, yeah. anything. Honestly, clear, there's no physical abuse happening. Yes. And then at what point, like he was like, he had enough, which I don't blame him. Yes. And then he's like, all right, I'm taking a break. And as soon as he left the room, I just remember the words, I'm scared come out of my mouth. Mm. And it was not something I had planned and it's something that I've protected myself from in the past from ever being in touch with. Yeah. He just ran to me and I was, mm, was so beautiful. Of, oh, such, it was shocking oh. and healing. And I haven't been able to go to that place that many times since yes. that I have access to that place and what possibility it, it can create for my life. Mm. It was like a transformational moment, you know, but it took so much to get there. <laughs> it takes so much to get there. I know. I'm thinking of times in my marriage where um, I'm not aware of grief. Mm. Um, perhaps it's an anniversary of a loss, like of my grandmother's death, who I was very close to. I talk about her in, in The Wisdom of Anxiety. Um, and I'm not aware it's happening in those subconscious layers. And I start to nitpick and I start to get irritable and I'm irritated that he left the bread out or mm. left the, or whatever. It didn't stack the dishwasher, these things that yeah. Yeah. come up and he, and he'll say, what's going on? You know? Um, and it might take me some time, but if I can eventually get to, I'm in so much grief and I cry mm. and everything softens and same thing, he comes to me, he holds me, oh. right? And it's this extraordinary um, transformation from pushing away, pushing away, pushing away to letting somebody in mm -hmm. and meeting each other in that incredibly soft, vulnerable, undefended place. And it's like what you're saying, Sylvie, I mean, it's, it's, thousands hundreds of thousands millions of times of practicing this messing up completely projecting mm -hmm. believing the projections opening taking responsibility being soft being hard mm -hmm. like this is really the reality of what marriage is and any long-term relationship Right. And I, I find that sometimes we have to lose a relationship to get this, right? Like I know for me, I had to lose and walk away from enough relationships to be able to then see that I was the common denominator. <laughs> my, you know, I was like, damn it. Like, you know, even of course th there was incompatibility things with certain relationships. Yes. I, I was able to then see how much I did through that projection. So I think that, you know, and also I think a, a breakup or a loss can help us realize that we're okay, that, you know, we can survive loss. So I think it can give us that courage in a future relationship that, okay, even if, yes, this is terrifying. And if it doesn't work out with this person, I know that I, I will live, you know, and I think that it's, it's, a, it's almost like a, 
some sometimes we do have to have take that risk to leave someone to then grasp this lesson that takes that, that forms in the in experience of that relationship anxiety. Is that making sense? It is, and I agree. And I can tell you that anyone listening to this who has relationship anxiety is going to feel completely spiked oh, by that um, because they don't. They're not ready. Well, it's absolutely 100% true what you're saying. And ultimately, we do need to get to the point of being okay with loss. Yeah. Um, but that's a huge ask. That is, mm. that is a huge ask for a lot of people where they, are, they don't know that, that they would be okay. And really, the last thing they want to do is walk away from this incredibly loving partner, which is why they are working so hard to try to figure this out. So mm. it's... When someone goes to therapy, and I've heard this countless times, and they talk about relationship anxiety, and they say, I just don't know, and I'm having so much doubt, and I've had doubt from day one, but you know, they give the whole picture, but he's amazing, or she's amazing, and it's, there's all of these incredible ways that we meet each other, and at the end of the day, this person feels like home, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not attracted, and this and that, and the therapist says, well, maybe you should leave. Mm. Right. That is terrifying. Of course. And And then they end up feeling upset with the therapist because that's not really what they want to hear. It's really not what they want to hear. And it's really not the right approach because that's not actually the solution. Because like you're saying, you could walk away, sure, and you will find yourself in the same boat with somebody else focusing on a whole different set of issues. Mm. Um, And it, it is often when somebody has gone through that cycle many times where they finally stop and they say, I am the common variable. Yes. Um, but it's a piece that I really would love therapists to be more trained on with, it, with all intrusive thoughts. So whether, whatever the intrusive thought is, that if the therapist hooks in and takes it at face value, they are then perpetuating the thought itself and they are infusing more fear into a situation where there doesn't need to be fear. What the person is actually looking for is to say, well, are there red flags? Is there, is there a reason to walk away, right? Let's yes. clear that out from the, from the beginning. And I will always ask my clients, are there red flags? Is there addiction? Is there abuse? Is there betrayal that hasn't been healed? Mm. Um, are there um, irreconcilable differences that, that where there's no compromise, like you want to have a child and your partner does not, mm. and you are both 100% clear? Well, there's no middle ground on that. So um, these, but 98% of the time, the person will say, no, not at all. It's the most wonderful, et cetera, person. Um, and so if the client, if the therapist joins hands with the fear, they are not serving the client. Right? Mm, I hear what you're saying. I think from what I was, I think, I think we may have misunderstood each other, but what I was trying to say was not to leave the current relationship that you're in was is more so that when we've had losses and we've seen ourselves ha- have the capacity to deal with the pain of that. Yes. It's almost like we have, um, we have a courage to then be able to have more awareness of our role in it. Mm, We do do our work, of course, not, you know, it doesn't always just happen naturally, but it's like we, we can bring, at least that's what, this is what happened in my own experience. Yes. I, I realized I'm like, this is this leaving is not solving anxiety. It's not, it it doesn't do anything. So, but I like what you're you're distinguishing about making sure to pay attention to whether there are red flags as a way to assess 
even more clearly if there's relationship anxiety present. I think that's so important to not bypass that piece. Yes. And even if there are red flags, if both people are willing to do the work, um, they can grow through that and even create a stronger relationship Absolutely. through those red flags. But if someone is, you know, for example, a heavy drinker and you suspect an alcoholic and they are unwilling mm. to address it, that's a red flag. Absolutely. Right. And that because the question is often, how do I know that this is anxiety and fear versus this is my gut instinct telling mm. me that there's a true and real danger? Mm. And so it's like you play a powerful role to be able to help them discern between those two things. And that can be very enmeshed. Right. If we have a relationship anxiety, like everything can kind of get bundled up into one one sphere. And it's like you're you're helping them to tease apart what are some actual potential red flags here and what is your your brain trying to convince you that something is a red flag when it's actually something going on inside of you exactly yes and i had a recent post on instagram called flags versus red flags mm. so the flags are pointing you to places inside of you that need attention the red flags are pointing to places in the relationship that need attention great distinction mm -hmm. i love that Mm -hmm. I love that. Amazing, Cheryl. Well, I mean, I feel like I could just talk to you about this forever, you know, and I, <laughs> I, I just really, I think this topic is so under, underspoken about mm. and we need to just make this more mainstream to really normalize yes. anxieties and to help them just be able to really explore, um, you know, what's going on underneath and how giving them that those tools to be able to do that for themselves. Can you let everyone know about your amazing um, relationship um, program that you have that helps people with this? And I want to promote your book and all that other stuff as well. Yes. So my e-course is called Break Free from Relationship Anxiety. Um, it is in-depth and comprehensive. It is 14 lessons um, with many dozens of videos, articles, MP3 visualizations to guide you step by step through what is relationship anxiety and how do you work through it. Um, the course also comes with access to a forum, a highly moderated forum um, that has been going on I, 2010 or 2011. I started that forum and there's probably about 140,000 posts on there. So at one aspect of relationship anxiety, which is uh, hugely comforting for people, is the normalization, is knowing mm -hmm. that this is a thing Yes. And other people struggle with it. And it doesn't mean you're in the wrong relationship. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Mm. Um, so just getting on that forum is a huge normalization piece um, that lets people know there are people all over the world in every type of relationship, every kind of person that that it crosses all, anxiety does, and yes. anxiety crosses all of our ways of categorizing people. Mm -hmm. um, so that is the Break Free from Relationship Anxiety course. And where can they find that, Cheryl? Is that on your website? That is on my website, conscious-transitions.com, and um, oh, it's under- all of these for you. 
Thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. it's under the, the courses tab. And when you go to courses, you'll see about 10 courses dropping down on that menu. Amazing. And Cheryl also has a, an incredible book that um, is called The Wisdom of Anxiety, How Worry and Intrusive Thoughts Are Gifts to Help You Heal. It is so beautiful and has so many um, exercises that you can do. And it covers a lot of what we've talked about in this podcast today. And Cheryl also has an amazing Instagram page, which you heard her talking about. It's called The Wisdom of Anxiety. Um, I'm just so grateful, Cheryl, that you're here. And I will make sure to link all of these programs um, in the notes for this podcast so you guys can check them out and make sure to follow her on Instagram. She posts the most just deep, 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 deep content that really calls out so many cultural myths. And really, um, like you said, you're, you're, you're teaching people how to not take things at such a face surface mm. value and really explore their inner worlds and the depths of who they are. And it's such a beautiful gift. I can't mm. thank you enough, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Sylvie. Such a true pleasure to connect with you here. Thank you, everyone. You guys can, you know, share this podcast with loved ones. If you know someone who struggles um, with relationship anxiety, of course, be gentle in your approach, you know, <laughs> feel free to, um, to share this. And again, thank you again, Cheryl. Mm, thank you.